good to be with you this morning and worshiping God together. Enjoyed the uh, sharing and the devotion on the Sunday School Hour this morning. This morning I want to share sermon number three in my coin series. I'd like you to think about counting. Counting like Christ. Do I know how to count? Do you know how to count this morning? You know, counting is one of the first things we focus on as we think of children learning. You know, we start one, two, three, very basic elementary. We learn uh, the numbers. We learn their visual uh, formation, uh, their visual description. We learn their value placement. And uh, it's supposed to get us through life, right? Numbers? are supposed to get us through life. I'd like to suggest this morning that learning to count like Christ is probably more important than one, two, three. And I hope you'll agree with me when I'm done with this sermon. But I would like you to think this morning just a little bit about numbers. You think this morning how many times you have used numbers. Dwight used some numbers in his announcements. Uh, Ryan announcing the arrival of his new son and the time that it happened. Um, think how unfortunate it would be if we didn't have any numbers, we didn't have clocks, to know what time it is to leave for church. Uh, you know, they keep us on schedule. Uh, sometimes we think we're a slave to time, and we'd just as soon like to, you ever see the shop clock without any numbers on it? Would that work? Would that work, Clint? <laughs> it might for a while, might take the pressure off, but uh, sooner or later you'd be back on the clock. Um, think about traveling to church the speed limit's posted do you know about what speed you can travel to make it here on time you know what time church starts oh I thought it started this time or I started that time uh, you know if just a few families may not be so critical but when you get 20-25 families it gets a little more critical to all be here on time and even in spite of the cold weather this morning I think we did exceptionally well um, but uh, see Roderick when he opened the singing he announced a hymn number uh, suppose he'd have picked up that hymn book and said well we want to sing this song number or this song title and there wouldn't have been any numbers on it and he just showed his book and said it's about here somewhere think how long that would have taken to find the, the page the hymn number think how simple numbers can help us in life uh, the devotional David, when he got up to read the scripture, he told us what chapter, what book, what chapter, what verse. I mean, we'd still be looking if we hadn't probably, if he hadn't given us those numbers to look for. Even the offering that was just collected this morning. Thank you for it. Lord bless you for sharing. Um, you know, it, it gives us an idea that uh, needs are being met. And uh, the attendance this morning uh, 75. Last Sunday it was 94, I believe. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it gives us a clue as to how things are progressing. There are some dangers in numbers. David numbered the children of Israel, uh, against the will of God. And, uh, I guess maybe that, those numbers were not changed on the board yet, so maybe I'm, I'm out of, uh, time there, but, uh, 
my oldest son turned 40 this week and uh, I understand you had a little bit of a celebration last Sunday sorry we were not here and I was thinking about that you know we we think about how old people get you know uh, we didn't use years keep calculate the years keep track of time maybe that'd be better I don't know <laughs> But, you know, just to put things in perspective, I thought about this this week as I thought about Delvin turning 40. Well, first of all, you know where that puts me, and uh, a little better than 20 years ahead of him. And then I thought about Arnie and Leona. When we moved here, Arnie and Leona were Delvin's age. Now, that really makes me scary. (laughs) I think he's just turning 40, if I remember correctly. Would that be right? I think I remember using Donald's turning 40. (laughs) Where has time gone? Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 21. And you may have thought and knew this was coming. Luke chapter 21. As you think about coins, I couldn't help but think about this account in the scripture. Here we go again, Luke 21, giving you the numbers, verses 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have their, for all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Jesus sitting in the temple. And as I have the description, there was in the woman's cord, there was, I think, 13 receptacles on the wall where they could leave their offering. Uh, The women could come in and leave their offering. And then up elevated a little higher level, there was the men's court. And Jesus was up there and had seen and observed this widow casting in her offering. I need a... Volunteer, Laverne Bender, I'm going to volunteer you this morning. Would you want to come up here? I want you to look at these two denominations here this morning. Which do you think would be the larger? I don't think that would be the larger. Well, why not? That's a penny. This is hundred. Looks like a $100. Well, you look at the numbers. You've got good eyesight. <laughs> what, does that look good to you? <laughs> well, this actually came, I think, through the offering. You may sit down. Uh, I think this actually came through the offering, and it's uh, it uh, it's a Federal Reserve note. It says a hundred on it, and uh, it says the United States of Wonder, and then it has a cartoon instead of the presidential head. Um, Wonder, the kingdom of magic and mystery, and uh, so that hundred dollar bill is not really worth a whole lot. But you know, I don't think that's what those people were casting in the offering there. I think those rich people were probably dropping in legitimate currency. Uh, that was good. And then here comes this poor widow, and I'm, I'm told that that widow dropped in two mites, which would have been probably about the equivalent of a penny. A penny. What's a penny worth? Not a whole lot. And actually, they say the copper is probably maybe worth more than the, the dollar value or the money value of it. Well, that's debatable. But I, I think there's some interesting truths that we need to learn as we think about Christ learning to count helping us to understand the value system of of God's kingdom. In this little short 
account that we have in the scripture. And it's recorded in, in the Gospel of Mark as well. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. One of the things I want to draw your attention to, and I don't know if I noticed this before, but actually, if you back up into chapter 20, there is something that is interesting. If you look at verse 45 in chapter uh, 20, it says, Then in the audience, he was talking to his, he was having some intercourse with the people, and then it says in verse 45, Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the markets and the highest seats in the synagogue in the chief rooms of the feast. Now notice particularly verse 47. And that's what I think is impressive. He says, Which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. The same shall receive greater damnation. So here's the religious people of the day, the religious leaders of the day that really ought to be channels and servants of God walking around in their clerical garments and uh, you know it says they were well really in summing it up in my own words it was all about themselves it wasn't about anybody else it was all about themselves when really they should have been a channel of God's love and God's service to the people and uh, I think I know Jesus saw that he saw that depicted And then I think it's interesting that he comes right into chapter 21, and as he's sitting there in the temple, he looked up, and he saw these rich men casting in their out of their abundance, and then here comes his widow that casts in her poor, her 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 offering, and then he called his disciples, and I believe God would call this to our attention this morning as well. He says, "There's something here that I want you to see. There's something here that I want you to learn about the value system of the kingdom of God." So it's widows versus the scribes. And I like to say it's sacrifice versus self, as you look at those two classes of people. Jesus is talking about widows, and he's talking about the scribes. And he's talking about the sacrifice that that widow made in relation to the selfishness of the scribes that he mentioned here in in chapter 20, I believe, and also chapter... Now, these were not necessarily all scribes that were making their offerings, but there were other people that were probably making their offerings. But they stand in stark contrast. Jesus, Jesus here noticed the level of sacrifice. And he noticed this morning, as the offering basket was passed this morning, he knows the level, he knows the level of sacrifice that released that offering into the offering basket. And to me, I think that's impressive to realize that Jesus, you know, this widow is not named. And uh, there are three groups of people. If we, look at, if we look at Christ, there's three groups of people. And you can go to James chapter 1, verse 27. I'll not turn there. But there's three groups of people that are, that are special in the eyes of God. And that's the widow and the fatherless and the strangers. And those three people, I believe, are special in the eyes of God. This widow is not named, but... Jesus evidently knew her well. Uh, Jesus, in his omniscience, uh, knew her sacrifice that she gave in dropping that offering into the temple. It says she gave all that she had. The challenge to me this morning is I don't need to be concerned about anyone else. I need to be concerned about, first of all, myself, and then how God views me. Um, God knows what Christ thinks. He knows my level of sacrifice. 
And, you know, if you stop and think about it, Christ is, is there is nobody more qualified to, to measure sacrifice than Christ. You think of the sacrifice that Christ gave on Calvary. That's the ultimate sacrifice. We can look in the scripture. That's the ultimate sacrifice to give your life. If I was to give my life to me, that, to you, that would be the ultimate sacrifice. We understand that in the scripture. The giving of one's life. We hold our life precious. But the giving of one's life is the ultimate sacrifice. And Christ did that. He's the only one that is really qualified to measure the level of sacrifice that I give in relation to serving him. And the, the thing that challenges me is that it will get heaven's attention. Jesus, as that widow dropped in her might, it got heaven's attention. It's got Jesus' attention. And I believe she will receive recognition. Again, that tells us about... Um, the value system of, of God's kingdom. Jesus very clearly told, he said that uh, she hath cast in more than all the rest of them combined. That, that offering, that sacrifice was more. One of the things I ask myself, how should we or how does God measure my sacrifice? And I, I thought of this scripture, it's a familiar scripture, uh, the love chapter. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you'd care to turn there, verse 3 tells us this. It says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me not, nothing. That's a measure of sacrifice this morning that I need to keep in focus. I may give. I may give my life. I may give all of my goods. I may give everything that I have at my disposal. But if I do it without Love, it does not meet up to the criteria that God expects of me. My motivation needs to be the love of Christ. It's why we do it rather than what we do. Why we do it rather than what we do. Turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we continue to think about the, the aspect of sacrifice, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 I like to begin reading at verse 14 through uh, verse 17. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we had known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Talk about measuring your level of sacrifice. I think these verses here, you know, is it the love of Christ that motivates me to sacrifice? Is it the love of Christ that motivates me to give? There in verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. It motivates us so that uh, we can share and give Verse 15, I believe, is talking about what Christ done for us. I had to think of, uh, you know, Romans 12. It talks about Christ being our only reasonable service. Um, verse 16, Paul talking here. How well do I know Christ? You know, my liberality or my willingness to be used of in the service of God's kingdom is a window of how well I know Christ. If I know Christ and his love for me, and he sacrificed on Calvary, it ought to motivate me to a life of commitment, a life of service. 
I think that's what verse 16 is talking about there. How well do you know Christ this morning? And how well do I know Christ? Again, the level of my sacrifice, the level of my commitment to sacrifice and do service in his kingdom is how well, is a window into my life, how well I know him. I like verse 17. We were talking about, Ellis was talking about restoration, restoring old things. Here's, here's something that's beautiful. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now that's, that's a little more than just restoration. That's being made transformed. We're being transformed by the power of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are not new. We're not just brushing up the outside, making it look new, polishing it or using whatever miracle cleanup thing. We're, it, it happens from the inside out. And it changes us. As I thought of restoration, as I thought of uh, transformation in the life of a believer, the life of the child of God, I think of a life being transformed, restored for the purpose that it was created. You and I were created for a purpose. And you think what that purpose is. Maybe we don't like that. Our carnal nature says, I need a little corner here for self. But you think what Jesus is expecting from you and me this morning. He has transformed us. He has died for us so that we can be of service and sacrifice in his kingdom. That's what God's expecting from us. That's the purpose. That's the intent that he redeemed us. A life of service and commitment to him. And isn't that our only reasonable service according to the writer of Romans? You know, if somebody has given your his life for you, isn't it only logical that we give them everything that we've got? All, th- all things are become new. And uh, we are a new creature in Christ. Our focus, our, um, our goals are changed. So as we think of learning to count like Christ, it's measured by sacrifice. God measures, God counts by the level of sacrifice. It's not the, like Laverne up here with that $100 bill in that penny. It, it don't matter to God what number is on there. He looks more at the level of sacrifice that I am willing to give for him. The second thing that I I noticed, and I already mentioned it, is the idea of of service. And I want to take you to the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6. Again, this is a familiar incident. Mark, chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. Jesus, again, ministering to the people, teaching to the multitudes. And then in verse 35, breaking into the account here, uh, he mentioned 30, verse 34, he said, they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And then in verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place, and now the time is far spent. Send them away that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go? and buy 200 pennies worth of bread, and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, John chapter 6, 
actually specifically mentions that the owner uh, or the provider of this little lunch, five loaves and two fishes, was a lad. Again, he's not, he's not named. I find that interesting. Uh, this lad is not named. and uh, But I know God knew him. Jesus knew him. And uh, I don't think he had... <laughs> you know, it's interesting. If you look at the account here, the disciples had a solution to the equation there or to the problem in verse 37. Uh, you know, he said, what are we going to do? They're hungry. And they said, well, shall we go buy 200 pennies worth of bread to feed them all? Um uh, that was their solution. Go buy 200 pennies worth of bread. And I, how much is 200 pennies worth of bread? That's using terminology there we're not familiar with. Like according to Bible research here, it was, could have been anywhere from seven months to a year's worth of wages. So, uh, you know, translate that. It could have been today, if you want to say, I don't know what it would cost 5,000 people to eat, but you know, it could have been anywhere from maybe $10,000 to $20,000. I don't know. To provide the food for them. Uh, that was their solution. But it looked like an un, probably not a logical solution. I would venture to guess they probably didn't have the resources among themselves to do that. Uh, so maybe it was asked somewhat tongue-in-cheek, perhaps, to, to Jesus. Uh, and maybe sometimes we come to Christ that way, too. You know, Lord, what are you expecting me to do? Uh, what are the answers? Well, Jesus seems like he was unruffled by the reply. He said, well, just go and see how many you have. And I think Jesus knew already how many loaves and fishes were in that crowd. And it seems a little bit, I find that a little hard to believe, but I realize I'm from a different culture. You know, uh, food is readily available in our culture today, and you don't have too many people that are, you know, you go to auctions, you go to wherever, there's always food, and people are always dipping their hand in something or eating something or chewing. And uh, to think there was 5,000 people there and there was only five loaves and two fishes, you know, I, I had a little hard time comprehending that. But that's what the Scripture says, so I'm going to believe it. That's all there was, absolutely all there was. And uh, I, to me, it makes it impressive because, you know, God can take such a small resource and use it for His glory. And uh, I think that's one of the things we, we need to look at as we think of this lesson of counting like God counts. God can take... Each individual life here this morning. The service, how much service is in my life? Well, I've, you know, how many, how much service in your life? Uh, what can you do? Scripture talks about giving a, a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord is, doesn't go without recognition. The smallest things that we could do, this lad here with his small lunch, God can use that in his, in his kingdom. God wants us to dedicate our service to Him. And, uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I looked at the numbers. I thought, okay, what about the number five? What about the number two? And uh, I don't know if there's any significance in that or not, but symbolically, the number two is God's choice. If you look in the scripture, uh, God chose uh, Abel over Cain. Old Testament versus New Testament. Uh, Esau and Jacob. Not the first, but the second. God's choice is always the second. What's the number five symbolic of? Number five is symbolic of the grace of God. There's uh, five sacrifices in the Old Testament, five names for Christ that we have recorded. Uh, there's five epistle writers. David selected five stones when he faced Goliath. And uh, so as I thought about the number two and the number five, I thought, you know, you combine symbolically the numbers together. God's choice and the grace of God, you've got a par that is going to sustain you through life. You make the choice to serve God and you experience His grace in your life. 
you know, it's, it's, it's going to produce service that will be for His glory. That's my take on that. Uh, I think it uh, has some merit as we think of God's choice, as we think of two and five being combined together. I already mentioned man's plan there in verse 37. I was impressed also, verse 40, as we see God or see that he instructing them to sit down. They command them to sit down in companies upon the grass uh, in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And then also that there was none wasted. God is, I believe, an orderly God. And uh, they gathered up the, uh, they did all eat and were filled. And they, verse 43, they took up the fragments that were left over. And they ended up with way more than they had in the beginning. And that's the way we learn to count like Christ counts will end up rewarded beyond measure. We'll end up with more than we started with. Uh, I can't put a number on that, but I can tell you it'll be more than what you started with. Take that home with you today. The stock market won't give you that. (laughs) So we think of sacrifice. We think of service. The third thing I want to think about as I think of learning to count like God counts, like Christ counts, is the idea of Turn to Luke chapter 14 is the idea of salt. This passage in Luke chapter 14, Jesus instructs us that we ought to count the cost. Count the cost of following Christ. Luke chapter 14 verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tar sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? Whether he have sufficient to finish it. Sounds like good common sense, doesn't it? Verse 29, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that is, all that beholded begin to mock him, saying, this man begin to build and was not able to finish. Kind of embarrassing. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Doesn't sound like a good equation, does it? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, now notice, here's what he's getting at. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now notice particularly verse 34 and 35. You might say, why is that? Why is 34 and 35 here at the end here? He says, you know, it looks like it's disconnected, but I don't think it's disconnected. It belongs there. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I'd like to suggest this morning that our measure of saltiness in our lives is a, is a demonstration of, of the quality of uh, learning to count like Christ. Our lives counting for him. Following Christ. What does it cost to follow Christ? I had to think, you know, would it be better to ask, what does it cost not to follow Christ? (laughs) Uh, Thinking about the correlation between the verses of salt and following Christ and serving Christ. uh, You know, back in history, in the times of the Phoenicians, uh, this goes way back, salt was a high-priced commodity in exchange rate. And it actually was equal to gold. Now, that's a little hard for us to comprehend. Again, our culture. How many times do you get the salt shaker out of the cabinet and shake it on your food and you think, oh, there goes some gold? Maybe you'd think twice about eating too much salty food. But there, that's what I'm told. 
back in the history and the uh, and probably even some of the earlier history of our country could have been had some value, not maybe equal to gold. But they're saying back in the Phoenician time of the Phoenicians and some of the other uh, empires, salt had equal quality of gold. And I, I find that interesting. Actually, if you look at our English word salary, you know where it comes from? It comes from salt, actually. The Latin word salarian, which is has a connection to the, the Latin word salt. Well, how salty am I this morning? You know, in chapter 6 here, as we look back through chapter 6, going back beyond the verses that I read and where Jesus said we need to count the cost. We need to count the cost of what is going to follow me. Jesus wants us to realize that there is going to be a cost. Looking at verse uh, 1 of uh, chapter 14, I think there's something, some things that are noticed. I have six things listed here that as I think of that will help us to measure our saltiness, our cost, or our effectiveness of serving the Lord, our ability. Verse 1 talks about, uh, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief priests to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. They watched him. They went in, Jesus went in to eat bread. And I found that interesting. Jesus here is, is a host, or rather Jesus is a guest. We just looked at the account where he was hosting 5,000 people. Now that was, that was phenomenal, I think. Now he used a little boy's lunch, but he multiplied it. But, you know, many times we find Jesus being a guest and uh, being a recipient. But, you know, the, the fact that he was eating here in the house of one of the chief Pharisees seems to like there was some ulterior motives there. It says they watched him. And that's one of the things I think, as I look at the life of Christ, as I look at the life of Jesus, uh, as I think of measuring my saltiness, you know, Jesus knew everything. He knew why they invited him there to dinner that day. Would you go to somebody's place if you knew they were going to scrutinize you and pick it apart and try and find fault with you? I like to relax when I eat, don't you? But you know, there's a, there's a lesson here for us this morning. And that is, I think, I need to be willing to meet the needs of others at the expense of the acceptance of the status quo. I need to be willing to meet the needs of others at the expense of the acceptance of the status quo. They watched him. Did that keep Jesus outside of that chief Pharisee's house? No. He ate bread and he visited with them. And I think there was a need in the lives of those people that he was willing to risk and be a channel of showing them his love. The second thing I notice as I think of measuring the grams of salt in our life, okay, so we have we have the idea of, of uh, not worrying about what other people think, but rather... Verse 11 talks about the humility. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Humility is a characteristic of salt. Now that we understand. Is there anything more lowly than salt? <laughs> you know, we use it without reserve today in our culture. Salt is a humble little ingredient. We put it in. You ask somebody what they put on their... Well, I think we... My wife asked Christy what she put on that meat the other night. She said she did nothing but salt. You know... And, you know, it's not like it's a special ingredient. We all have it. It's readily available. Nothing but salt. Well, salt, humility is a characteristic of salt, I believe. Well, thirdly, looking at verses 13 and 14. Um, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So the third thing is, 
Don't worry about recognition. If I'm worried about recognition this morning, you know, there's something wrong with my saltiness. There's something wrong with my life. I do it because of my love for Christ. I do it because of what he has done for me. Forget the recognition. It's for God's glory that we share and give our lives in service and sacrifice and humility. So don't be worried about reconciliation. I mean, pardon me, don't be worried about recognition. The fourth thing is in verse 18. And they all, with one of consent, began to make excuse. The first, this is talking about the invitation to the supper. They said they began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And then it continues on, yoke of oxen. And then 20 talks about, uh, another says, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So they all, they all had excuses. But you know, when we come before Christ, uh, we are without excuse. God asks of us, whatever He may ask of us, we are without excuse. Is there any legitimate excuse that God, that we can give to Christ when He asks us to do something? Is there any legitimate excuse? Think about that for a long time before you come up with one. Because I don't think there is a, legit, a legitimate excuse when you think of what God has done for you. We are without excuse remembering what Christ has done for us. Verse 26. The fifth thing is the idea, if any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Remember, this is a measure of saltiness. Now those all look like legitimate things there. He says, uh, hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren, sisters, but you know, I think what he's telling us is that Christ needs to be number one priority above all their earthly relationships. And you know, the things aren't even listed there. The farms, the businesses that in our materialistic age that we, we tend to hang on to. It's talking about relationships and good relationships. But he's saying, I need to be number one before all those good relationships. And then number 6, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cross-bearing will keep you salty. Cross-bearing will, you, uh, will keep your salt effective. We need to be willing to take up that cross and deny self. Well, I'd like you to check yourself this morning as you think of learning to count like Christ, sacrifice, put number one to ten, take service, put number ten, take salt, and put number one to ten. Number one being the highest level, number ten being the lowest level. Where would you score yourself from one to ten in sacrifice, in service, in salt? That's something you don't have to answer to me about. I want you to talk to the Lord about it. God will help you to evaluate your uh, net worth in relation to his heavenly kingdom. May God help us to be honest as we evaluate our lives.